0: Okay, I have a question that might seem a little bit, let's just say, inconsiderate of in some sort. But did you ever like play Two Truths and a Lie and use the fact that you knew Ted Kaczynski, or was that ever like a you know like a game that you played in college when you're like meeting people? Did you ever be like, yeah, I grew up beside the Unabomber?
1: So. The answer to that is yes. And um, (laughs) it was, you know, pretty early on, like in my 20s, when I would be at corporate events. And there's always those weird icebreakers where people are like, exactly what you just said, like, tell two truths and one lie. And I would play the game. And then, of course, I would say, and I lived next to the Unabomber. And nobody ever believed me—not one time.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I I figured that's how it, I I figured that's how it would go.
1: It was it was the ultimate icebreaker, though. I do have to say.
0: Oh yeah. No, I think it would work every time. You would you would win the game every single time, and then you just have to answer about fifty questions after that. I'm sure. It
1: always derailed what the presenter was yep. trying to do.
0: Yep. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in again. This is Schizophrenic Reads the podcast. It's a nonfiction podcast hosted by me, Nathan Shurek. This week, I have Jamie Gehring on the podcast to talk about her book, Madman in the Woods. Jamie Gehring is a Montana native who grew up sharing a backyard with Ted Kaczynski, the manly widely known as the Unabomber. She is featured in Netflix's Unabomber, In His Own Words, where she discusses her family's role in Ted's capture. Her native nonfiction debut, Madman in the Woods, Life Next Door to the Unabomber, has been covered in publications such as Elle. New York Post, Slate, A&E True Crime, Oxygen True Crime, 5280. Is that like a local? That's really cool. 5280.
1: Um, yeah, it's a, it's actually a very cool publication. Nice.
0: And uh, was even featured on last podcast on the left, which is one of my favorite podcasts that I've ever listened to. So that is so cool. Uh, she recently shortlisted for True Crime's Crime Con's True Crime Award for Best New True Crime Author. Other accolades include the 2022 Pencraft Book Award for Literary Excellence in Nonfiction Slash Memoir. And uh, you now live in Colorado, just a little bit away from your home in Lincoln, Montana. Just welcome to the show. This is so exciting. You reached out to me a little while ago to talk about the book. And I I gotta be honest, I just finished it this morning. I was I kind of just saved it for last minute because It's one of those books that you just get like very, very like obsessed with in some way. So I was just like, I was like, I had like 150 pages left this morning and I was like, I woke up, went and grabbed some coffee and I was like, I'm just going to like sit for like two hours and just like consume myself with the book. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Nathan, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I've said this before, but you read so many books. And so for you to choose mine, to sit down and read, especially almost in one sitting, is pretty incredible. I'm very (laughs) grateful.
0: No, I'm so glad that I did. Uh, The book, um, I'm going to read a a little introduction to the book, and then we're going to kind of get talking with uh, some of the questions that I have. We'll be talking about the book, but the writing process, the research. Uh, kind of want to just cover all the bases that we can. So yeah, let me let me let people know exactly what this book is about. It's a haunting account of a 16 years when Jamie and her family lived closer than anyone to Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. As a child in Lincoln, Montana, Jamie Gehrig and her family shared their land at their home and their dinner table with a hermit with a penchant for murder. This <laughs> is so haunting. But they had no idea that the odd recluse living adjacent in an adjacent cabin with anything more than a disheveled man brought young Jamie painted rocks as a gift, coffee and a little mug. We'll get into that. Ted was simply Ted, an erratic behavior, surprise visits, chilling events while riding horses and helping her dad at the sawmill. Ted was Ted for decades, eluded the FBI in 17 years while mailing explosives to strangers and earning him the infamous title of the Unabomber. The book is an investigation of 25 years later reclaiming the pieces of childhood and answering to questions why how and recalling how once innocent memories and odd circumstances became the less puzzling in hindsight. Jamie, this is this was a wild ride of a book. This there were so many so many conflicting things that I had as this book goes on and I think one of the things that I really wanted to start this podcast with is talking about kind of Ted was your neighbor, which is a really like interesting perspective and one that is not often like talked about. When we talk about true crime, it's often family members that write about, you know, the person that they knew beforehand. But when it comes to a neighbor, a neighbor is supposed to be, I think, like in its very essence, someone that's just like, oh, they're just like present in your life. They're not like super close, but they're just there. And <laughs> you were neighbors with one of the most famous, you know, figures, not even a person, but just like a a, a figure that was overlooking like the 70s, 80s and 90s of America. But you write with a lot of empathy towards him, while also a very rigid sense of morality. I mean, there's a right and wrong to this issue, but there's also a, you're trying to view him as someone complex, and truly he is. I mean, that's been one of the key factors in all the writing about him, is Ted is a very conflicting person. Um, I want to know kind of how was approaching this story with like an empathetic lens, you know, because... I have to think there was parts of it where you didn't want to do that, you know, like that you wanted to write with fury and anger, but you bring a lot of human elements to this story. And, and I'm just curious what that writing process was like for you.
1: Uh, first of all, thank you for recognizing that as someone who has read the book. And it wasn't my initial intent, honestly, to write the book in the way that it is as a braided memoir where you're you're really as a reader my hope is that you're along the journey with me in trying to understand this person and uncover not only you know my story ted's story how they intersect but really the complete narrative and that was really important to me to do the research and probably no not probably why this book took me so long to write because you know i i wanted to tell the story from a very honest place and in order to do that i had to talk you know to the people that surrounded this person and try as much as you can to kind of crawl in his mind through his writings and again just really understand the full narrative and in order to do that i had to be completely honest about my own feelings towards him as a child and what his experience was like with his brother, for instance, and and bits of kindness that he did show through his life, even in, in the town of Lincoln. And obviously there were moments where I was like full of rage and anger, and that's part of it, that's in the book, but I just needed to tell the whole story.
0: Well, and part of telling that whole story your book comes across as like a series of relationships that you have with not only Ted kind of he's in he's almost in the background of some parts of the story because it's it's a lot of a family memoir and and even Ted's family when you bring in your relationship with David and, and the correspondence that you guys have had over the years but there's a large focus on your father too which I have to imagine and you allude to it in the book but I have to imagine was just a Probably one of the most difficult parts of writing this book was writing about your family. How was that kind of a different, you know, how did you approach that process differently from writing obviously Ted is kind of this uh the villain of the story, but telling your father's story and the research that you did into your own family. There's a lot of similar elements to the research process in that, but obviously completely emotionally different for you. Um what was what did that feel like?
1: Well, I have to be honest, I mean, when even when writing about Ted's, his, if you read the book or if you know a bit about the story, he was hospitalized as an infant and telling that story of his mother and finding her journal entries and then, you know, feeling those emotions as a mother myself now, that was inc- like surprisingly emotional for me. And then writing about my own family and I think I was definitely very close to the story, obviously, but my father had passed away and I was experiencing grief from that. I lost my sister. And so the time that I spent writing, which you'll probably find as as a listener, as a reader, memoirs especially who, um, you know, do explore grief, It's an incredibly difficult process for the writer, but I think it adds to the beauty of the writing and really just like the true human raw emotion that has to be conveyed when you're writing a book. And so it was very difficult to research, to interview Max Knoll, FBI agent Max Knoll, and hear about my father, but it was also really healing and I think that also comes through. I mean there's so many different layers of this book. It's not just a story about the longest running domestic terrorist in United States history, although that's right. a very important part.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: It also touches on our humanity and you know, our connection as humans and I think that was all very important to the process.
0: Well, so much so much of true crime is either a completely like the author is completely vacant from a story where it's just kind of a biography, typically of a serial killer or something like that. Or there's a lot of complaints that true crime authors can get too involved in the story where, you know, they're just an investigative journalist and they they get sucked up into the the politics of the town or the histories and those types of things. You, I think, do it. You are you get involved in the story, but it's because you were involved in the story. It's not just you are placing yourself in the midst of a you know, a phenomenon you were you were there. you were present, and it the the circumstances just evolved around you. And I found that just a really fascinating element of this story. I am curious <laughs> if there was at any point that would did anyone Warn you away from telling this story? I mean, it's it's one you've had to live with, and one, obviously, that you've shared in a lot of different capacities. But was there any point where you, you weren't sure if this was the story for you to tell?
1: Absolutely. And I actually wrestled with that quite often while writing this story. It was always well, since Kaczynski's arrest when I was 16, it was a story that I wanted to tell. It it was, I I knew, and my high school friends will joke when they talk about it, like, you always said you were going to write this book. And it (laughs) took me a very long time to decide to write it. And honestly, it started as a book of short stories. And then Mm -hmm. I had finished it and I felt it wasn't personal enough. It wasn't, It wasn't enough of the story um, for me to be happy with it, so I rewrote it. But anyways, during that process, I definitely struggled with the book being out in the world. It's so personal. It's so close to my heart. And when you release any piece of art into the world, there's always going to be, you know, criticism of it. And books are interesting in that way. You know, one book is a perfect fit for one person and the other person just, you know, doesn't get it. That's, that's the beauty of art. And when you put something like that into the world, that's so close, it's a very vulnerable position to be in. And so that was my number one struggle in releasing this. And then two, there's, you know, there's critics from, um, you know, from, from the entire, the entire span of this story. And I was actually listening to your, uh, your, your first podcast episode and your guest was saying like, she gets criticism basically from everyone. (laughs) And um, I can totally relate to that because I do as well. I get, I get criticism from people who think I was too sympathetic to Ted and his story and trying to like discover what created him and his humanity. Mm -hmm. And then I get, you know, criticism from the people that are like, really hardcore in the pro-TED camp and, um, you know, yeah. find fault with my book. And so it's it's a difficult position to be in to put your art out there and then also to already, like, have preconceived groups of people yeah. who are ready yeah. to criticize actively.
0: What I think that's a really interesting, like, part of this story is there are supporters of TED where, we you know, you talk about other – Of serial killers throughout American history, you know, there's not that many defenders of Bundy, you know, there's not that many defenders of John Wayne Gacy. But when it comes to Ted, because there is the underlying political motivations of it, uh, there's something I am absolutely 100% sure that you have experienced. It's something that I have experienced just broadly talking about him online and stuff is just the comment sections where people are like, Ted was right, you know, like that's just like an interaction that you have online and um i'm just curious what your like what your experience with that has been like cuz i'm sure you've run across those types of commenters or reviewers even to your book or whatever but it's just something that i've seen over and over again and i'm curious how it's felt for you being you know part of the story in some
1: way it's a really difficult question to answer because it it's just a really hard position to be in this is my story, this happened, you know, on a national level, this, these things that I write about happened to me and my family. And I needed to tell that story. And then for outsiders to come in and kind of attack that story, just because they um, believe that Ted was right, and everybody, you know, is entitled to their own opinions, even, even as me, as I was writing this book, and um Already had these struggles with with how I felt about this person, and I think readers can sense that too. You know, as I'm writing about the the time that Ted took off from his bombing campaign, he actually took two breaks to um, perfect his his bombing devices and to perfect his killing. You know, I'm still in my head like I wonder if he was searching for additional meaning. I wonder if there really was this like altruistic force mission behind um you know just the hatred and it was disappointing i i guess i would say to find over and over again that his words were kind of contradicting his mission and you know again th- this person's very complex and people people can think whatever they want but It's the the comments are tough still, and I try to just ignore it. I know you're very familiar with, you know, just having to like not acknowledge shitty (laughs) comments on the internet. People, it's like just a venue where you can say people think they can just say anything, but sometimes it does still bother me. I'll be honest.
0: Yeah, no, I I I'll talk about something relating to like schizophrenia and society, and I will get some of the like wildest, most harassing comments imaginable, and there's always this instant where I'm like, oh, I need to like defend myself or I need to say something. And then it's like, I think there's just that realization you're shouting on the internet and, um, the internet, uh, as much as it is made for shouting, it is not made for shouting back in some way that like, you can respond to comments all you want. But I I think a lot of us who have spent time on the internet and, and time with things that are you know i I'll put it firmly in the air quote category of controversial it just uh, nothing comes of these these internet fights over other than just kind of an emotional exhaustion for at least you know on the personal level and so yeah i absolutely understand that withdraw from some of those um some of those arguments because it is it can be a, a really difficult thing
1: you're spot on you're spot yeah. on with that <laughs>
0: I do want to ask about the representation that Ted has had in different media cuz I I have to assume whether it was part of simply the research pr- process of this book or whether it was just something you've lived with your whole life is we've we've had TV shows and documentaries and you have been a part of um, at least one of them that I'm familiar with the the Netflix one broadly before we get into like specifics about your role in the Netflix documentary I am curious how you felt about those publications that have gone out and throughout your life. And and did you watch them or did you, you know, wait to watch them or what 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 was that like for you?
1: It's a really strange thing to watch parts of your life on a screen when you have no like zero creative input or control in what's being portrayed. And yes, I, I have watched the different specials through the years. And that was a driving factor in me deciding to participate in the Netflix documentary Unabomber in His Own Words. Because, you know, in addition to, to writing my book and finally having a voice throughout the years, I wasn't able to have a voice in this. And I felt like it was really important. To me to finally be able to tell my story the way I wanted it told, but that's still i mean on you know once it comes to editing and you know the the other content that's included, <laughs> you still don't have any control in what the takeaway is um yeah. from from the special or from the show, and so it's a strange place to be the the very last one that was made was a Um, an indie film called Ted K and parts of that movie were actually filmed at my childhood home and on the surrounding property. And I, I wasn't part of that process. However, when I went to the Montana Book Festival this last fall, I was able to kind of host the movie and then have a Q&A afterwards. And just like that little moment of being able to interject my own truth into this movie that was made was really a pretty powerful moment. And I really appreciated it. And there's still like there's scenes that there's one scene in particular where it's supposed to be my dad and stepmother are in the home. And you can see him through the windows and Ted is outside watching and I, I, like I can't watch that scene without yeah. just being like very triggered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I have to. I have to imagine. Well, and it's it's like one of those stories that it can. I, I'm sure references to Ted can come up in almost any circumstances, regardless of whether you're like you're actually talking about it or not. But like just references to him as a person or that time period, that that kind of that specifications. I mean, I hear those in like daily conversations. There's always kind of this thing they talked about it is like you cannot uh, a con a conversation cannot go longer than I think it's like 48 hours without like a reference to Hitler or something but I think that's true of like a lot of cultural figures and Ted is one of those like you talk to someone long enough and eventually you know these these figures come up in like regular conversations and I can't imagine probably what it's been like for you over the years being an unknowing you know <laughs> participant in those conversations because. I am curious, this is definitely putting you on the spot, but have you ever had a conversation where it's been brought up, and it wasn't you bringing it up, and it was like, oh, this is this is weird. Like, this is a really jarring point to be talking to someone.
1: You know, I think there's been numerous times in my life where it has been brought up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I lived next to <laughs> Ted Kaczynski, and the person is just like so taken aback by that and then them bringing in a conversation that it's like shocking for both of us. Um, yeah, because you're right. He was, again, the longest running domestic terrorist in the United States history. I mean, especially for people growing up in the 80s, in the 90s, like that infamous sketch of the Unabomber with his yeah. hoodie and his aviator glasses is just like burned into our minds. I. You mentioned the last podcast on the left and I think it was Henry that as a kid had like that cut out picture in his binder, you
0: know? <laughs> like, no, I mean I've seen t-shirts with it. Like just like people at like a state fair or something, someone will have a t-shirt with that sketch on it. And that's like, this is wild.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's wild. And being part of this story, I just like it's still it's still like it's still so strange for me anytime I see it or hear the references.
0: We're talking about like the 70s, 80s, and 90s as kind of this, uh, you know, Ted was kind of this backdrop to like the American psyche that was happening at this time. But this book, I mean, it's because it, you know, this is real life, this is how it happened, but it, it's set in Western United States. And throughout that time period of uh, especially the 80s and early 90s, the Western United States had a long history of extremely culture-defining moments from the Oklahoma City bombing to Ruby Ridge to, you know, right afterwards with Columbine. The West has kind of this frontierism that was happening growing up around that and obviously surrounding this particular story. Like, how how have you perceived that, the West? Because it's, it's these stories that kind of captured the, the American imagination in some way, but also told a very very difficult story. Was that part of Was that something that you've confronted? And I know you still live in Colorado. So, you know, still living in that environment, you know, what was what was thinking about just like the West and how this story and not only just it doesn't directly intersect, but it it does in so many ways, you know, like the the political climate of the day was very much focused on like these types of stories. What what was that considering the West? What was that like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I know, even in my book, I reference Ruby Ridge and the Freeman, um, which that happened in Montana as well in 1996. Um, And, you know, there's there's all of these extremist stories. Mm -hmm. And in in my mind, I I know this is going to sound really odd, but Even growing up around that, around the Unabomber, they still feel so distant Mm. because I think I had such an insulated childhood in so many ways. And so my vision, my experience of the West was being able to ride my horse wherever I wanted to and looking on these expanses of land and not seeing one person, one structure, you know, and, and just being able to fully immerse myself in nature. And, you know, I tell the story about my grandfather and just kind of, he ended up shooting a a neighbor and um, telling that story and just kind of the lawlessness, I suppose, of the West and that cowboy mentality and that's something that is still like very ingrained into me. And when I think of the West, that is what I think about instead of these extremists. Mm. But I I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Looking down on it, you would think I have a different perception. But I think I've probably done that to like protect my own my own mental no. health.
0: No, I think that I think that totally makes sense. I mean it's it's this wild kind of um I, I have always kind of loved like the myth of the West, like in a historical framework. It's just something that I've I've really enjoyed reading about through, you know, the decades and um of how things changed and stuff. And and now I think the change is, you know, this isn't not exactly the book, but the change from like the mythical West to the frontier west to, you know, all of these types of things, and then the extremist West that we kind of had in the 80s, 90s that we're referencing. And now we are in like the real estate West. Like it's it's the West is only being tamed by billionaires buying up uh, ski resorts, and it's kind of sanitized. The um, which I know is a <laughs> is a particular word, and that's why I used it. But the West has been drastically changed, and not so much in like the physical landscape, but in like the it is now just the playground of like the ultra wealthy. And I think that's a really I don't know when I was reading your book, but also thinking about. Ted's manifesto. And then the relationship with how the West has changed as, you know, frontier, but now it's like frontier with a trademark logo on it, that it's like, it's it's literally a business model. Is that something that's kind of, I don't know, played into your concepts of how you've looked at this story over time? Uh, specifically, like knowing living in Colorado, is that any perceptions of that for you just overlaying the story or anything like that?
1: yeah I think it's definitely troublesome, and you know it's it's sad to me because it's like when you grow up in that certain environment, it's almost like you're connected to the place and to see to see those places um and And I would say where I grew up, it's still about a thousand residents. It's still like a blinking stoplight. You have about you know you probably have nine bars. And eight churches and one grocery store. I mean, it's it's very much uh, a rural environment still, and there are still places that you can find that are that way, and that's why the locals call it the last best place because there is still that feeling of that Western lawlessness, and um, you know that uh, really like you've stepped into the past, mm-hmm. but those places are definitely starting to transition to a, a much, a much different look, a much different feel. And that that is a tragedy.
0: Yeah. I mean, probably a little bit of that involving Lincoln, uh, where the story takes place is the dark tourism that has happened. And you allude to it kind of in the conclusion of the book and, Uh, your role. I I wonder if you could just kind of talk to us about the story that you tell in the book, but also just, you know, what it's become in like the decades since then of uh, people coming out to look at the cabin or where the cabin was.
1: So right after Ted Kaczynski's arrest in 96, I, um, I was visiting, you know, my father for the summer after, after the arrest, um, because that previous school year I spent in California with my mom. And there was still a swarm of media trying to get pictures of, of people that were obsessed with this case and where the Unabomber lived. And it, it is a very interesting part of this of this case, of this investigation. You try to imagine the longest running domestic terrorist in US history and what he was able to you know achieve from from his own mindset in that tiny little cabin it's 10 by 12 uh it is there's no running water no heat no electricity in the middle of rural Montana I mean, he's four miles from town. He either walks or rides this very rickety little bicycle into town. He's riding buses to go deliver his bombs. I mean, just the fact that he lived that way and, you know, was one of the most infamous criminals to to date in history is shocking, um, to say the least. And so I think that was a huge, like a draw, I suppose, to seeing what that really looked like, and so there were yeah. so many people that wanted to see his cabin. And you know, my dad was like, absolutely not. He took, he took a few of, um, peop- of the family members that were affected by the violence. Somebody that was on the hit list that the FBI had found to the cabin, just for closure. And you know, there were. He was like, do not take anybody out there. <laughs>
0: And, yeah, of course,
1: yeah. I was sixteen, and I was like, "I'll do the opposite of whatever you tell me because I'm sixteen and charging, so, tar-
0: charging ticket prices <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So yeah, I took a few people out there and sold his trash, which I'm not especially proud of, but um, <laughs> I did find out, though, that one of the one of the people that I did charge he had told me that he like had a connection and was on the list. And then I found out later that he wasn't. And so I was (laughs) like, I'm so glad I I should have charged him more.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Double, double ticket price for that one. (laughs) Part of the, the, I guess just the Ted Kaczynski story is that it's a story that, I mean, he's been captured. He's written a lot of stuff. He wrote a whole manifesto explaining his ideas and, why he did it and all of those types of things, but at the very same time, there is a lot of like mystery to him as a character, which you definitely get into in the book. And I think based on I, you followed me for a little while, so you do know some of my reading tastes. But one of the things that I found most fascinating was Ted's interaction with the. It, it's kind of like the precursor to the MK Ultra program with the OSS, the CIA. How was researching that part of the book for you? I mean, that's just a. It's such a wild kind of tendril of of just like I could see how you could probably get to that point in the book and be like I'm gonna now read 150 books on this subject and really just like spiral out um, your book does a really good job at like staying true to like just telling the story and not going in a thousand different directions but I have to imagine there was a little part of you that was like keep pulling the threads keep pulling the threads so I'm um, just curious what researching that was like for you
1: I was really tempted to completely spiral out on that to be honest um you know there's a there is a part in my book that I actually like write about the process and I locked myself in a hotel room and was was reading um you know uh, so many different books about you know the the MK Alter project and um Murray and um what really transpired with Ted in those Harvard experiments And I mean, there's, there has been just like entire books written about just that. And so it was, you know, oh, and then I had to, of course, email David Kaczynski and get his take on it and what he felt about it and the changes he may have seen in TED. And so it was definitely multifaceted for me, but I really had to just keep it to, and believe me, that chapter was edited down very heavily <laughs> when I'm talking about this whole process. But, you know, then I, I the FBI agents that, that I spoke to about it, they were like, don't, you know, don't focus on that too much. <laughs> Which yeah. I wonder why they would say
0: anything <laughs> like that. <laughs>
1: then, but I then I did find the letter from Ted basically saying, you know, it was a thing, but it wasn't like there, it wasn't. I wasn't being tortured and um, who knows because he does downplay so many different things obviously that have happened to him in his life because I believe he doesn't want his thoughts, his opinions, his, the beliefs he writes about in his manifesto to be looked at in any different way.
0: Yeah. Which is why, I mean, I mean the legal theory surrounding his conviction when he decided to testify or when he decided to represent himself in court is uh, on this whole kind of genre of Ted wanting to be perceived, not as like an insane person or a byproduct of experimentation, but he just wants to be a sane person with a sane idea. And that sane idea is let's uh, mail bombs to people. And it's like, there's obviously they just this conflicting part of Ted Kaczynski, not only through your book, which is very obvious as, as he is just this Very weird hermit neighbor and then also famous serial killer. But the story of Ted Kaczynski is that constant back and forth of this sane guy that's, you know, has some interesting theories and thoughts and wants to endorse himself as a sane person. And then it's also the confrontation with like, oh, no, it is the madman in the woods, which you're, (laughs) weirdly enough, your book, that is the title of the book. However, that's not exactly the only like representation, or that's not the only view that you have of him. So curious why Madman in the Woods, why you went with that title. And I'm not saying it's a bad title, but you represent him in so many different ways that it's just a really interesting way to, I don't know, frame the conversation or frame the idea of Ted.
1: So my title was actually Life with Ted K.,
0: Okay And
1: my publisher definitely wanted to appeal to more of a true crime audience. and sure. so um, uh, which I understand. Yeah. And so they changed it to Mad Men in the Woods. Um, but I was very, very insistent that it had to be life next door to the Unabomber because mm-hmm. it is truly a story about life.
0: I really, I really like that the subtitle really just gives a, such a cementing view on what the book is, because like we've kind of alluded to, it is the story of Ted Kaczynski is in there. However, it's also your life. This is when you talked earlier about it being a braided memoir. It is a braided memoir because it is your life and your interpretations of these events, but it's also a history of obviously Ted, but it's also a look at your family life in uh, Montana, which was a really fascinating part to interweave all of these narratives so cohesively into one story. And I think what's, what comes across really well as like a reader to the story is, for you, those are all interwoven into your, just your life. That is just how you've lived. But when you write a book, you are telling a story. You're telling a a version of the events, or you are editing it in some way. And it was really a fascinating way to view that time period and the location and this famous person. And then also, I really have to say, I, I I really look forward to if you choose to write future works, because I love just like the really mundane parts of your storytelling. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Just like, <laughs> you know, not everything can be like the explosive truth bombs. Horrible turn of phrase there. But The um, but just like the the parts where you write about your family life and the the connections that you had with your sister and your father, were really beautiful and poignant. And I think uh, that's when you talk about life being the the main spur of this book. I think that's it comes across so well.
1: Thank you for saying that. And I mean, I will say too that is definitely another reason that this book did take me so long. It took me a good five years to write it, and. It was the act of braiding in all of these different storylines together, um, you know, to to one, not not lose my reader, but also to to tell the story that I was intending to to express is was definitely a challenge. And I wanted it to read more like Uh, You know, I wanted it to be narrative nonfiction. I wanted it to be intimate, true crime. And so these things that I was trying to do were were very difficult and challenging. And it really, like, forced me kind of outside of my own comfort zone and definitely made it challenging. But if I write only one book in my life, I'm happy (laughs) with the book that I've written.
0: No, that's good. That's good. I want to talk broadly about, like, the true crime genre, because we are obviously in this, like, the golden age kind of of, of true crime, and you have, you have been involved in all of it. A book, a uh, documentary, you were on last podcast on the left, so you've got the podcasting going, too. I mean, th- true crime as a genre is a phenomenon right now. Do you—I'm just curious, and I know you are up for award in the true crime genre, so um, I'll try not to take this a— af- Take this uh, question too seriously, but do you like true crime genre? do you like is that something you seek out on your own time, or is this you're just like, no, I'm too close to the stories and
1: i um you know I, I'm of- conflicted about it because when I set out to write my book, I had no idea what the true crime market looked like. I mean, part mm. of the process of writing a nonfiction book is writing. A really great book proposal. It's so yeah. important, and so you're researching your market. You're researching comp titles, and that was a. It was that time where I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is this market in true crime is massive," and I did read um, "The Stranger Beside Me" and "The Babysitter: My Summers with a Serial Killer" and "Shadow Man" and "If You Tell" by Greg Olson. Um, one, just as like inspiration for my own writing, because a couple of those are intimate, true crime, meaning the author yeah. is involved with with the um actual crime that they're writing about. And I felt it was important to my craft. However, I have a really hard time reading it because, yeah. um, you know i've I've experienced it and seen as many people have also, unfortunately, seen, the ripple effect of violence and Mm -hmm. how many people it really affects and for generations. And so that part is difficult for me when it's put into like a commercial lens. But then on on the other side of it, it was important for me to understand or try to understand the mind of a serial killer. And it was important for my own closure and my own healing to do that. And so I get it. I understand why people are drawn to learning about these people. It's just a really interesting phenomenon, honestly.
0: Yeah. Well, we talked about earlier with the interactions with like the Ted is Right, you know, anonymous posters online. But there's also just like the genre of true crime has been plagued with kind of, you would call it the fantasies, uh, you know, of some sense. It's It's people that talk, very lovingly towards true crime figures. It's it's people that are like in, in some way in love with the serial killers and those types of things that it goes beyond research. It goes beyond a critique of society or a critique of a person. It It's like weird obsessions. And um, I want to let people know this is not what that book does. <laughs> but I think also it's just a really fascinating thing because one of the people that you have talked to about this book, and I want to just give a shout out so people can go find it is um, you've talked to the last podcast on the left guys about this. And one of their things that they make as like a forefront of their interpretations of true crime is like, they, (laughs) I I think I'm going to like paraphrase it a little bit, but they talk about these people as they're pieces of shit. Like the people that commit these crimes, they're the bad guys. Like it's actually pretty cut and dry. Like we don't need to like chalk them up as being super villains or whatever. Like, no, they're just weird dudes. And, when they talked about Ted and their main podcast, uh, it's, yeah, that's the story they're telling. It's it's a guy that has a lot of really complicated things in his life. And he's just, he's a very strange dude. But he's also, yeah, he he did some horrifying things. <laughs> I'm just curious, what was it like talking to the last podcast guys? Because they're, you know, they're such big, big figures in this you know this genre of of media because I think it extends well beyond books and stuff. It, it is a whole form of media.
1: Yeah. So I had really uh, no expectations going into it. <laughs> I was real, I was so nervous. It was my first podcast. Okay. And okay. Um, the book hadn't even come out yet, so it was crazy because my first interview was with Elle magazine, mm-hmm. and then my first podcast was with the last podcast on the left. <laughs> and so i just got like thrown into the fire right with with trying to market my book um but it was so funny because since then like most of the time um people will like send a list of questions or like a guide what we're going to be talking about it was just like whatever the hell they wanted to talk about
0: <laughs> <laughs> as like impromptu comedians or yeah. performance comedians and,
1: um, so we we started our conversation it was uh, just Henry and I to begin with, so we're just sitting there, and I'm like, "Do you? I'm I'm like a little bit nervous. Do you mind if I have a shot of whiskey?" <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, "Do you Do you want a shot of whiskey? Should we do a shot of whiskey together?" And he's like, "I'm a comedian. I can't start drinking this early." <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> so funny. Um, um, but no, they are the the thing I do appreciate about their show is. They do incredible research, and you know mm-hmm. I know they have a huge team, but they they really um, they really put in the time to understand. And you're right; like the, the one of the things that kind of threw me off it, as many of the things actually threw me off as we're talking <laughs> because they're just hilarious. It's hard to kind of get back on track when you're talking about um, such serious things, which is why people find their show appealing, obviously. Um, <laughs> But he was said something like, yeah, you know, Ted was just an asshole. Like, (laughs) all of them are, right? Like, it it was just funny. You know, it's like, thanks for being real. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, that's such a, like, a needed voice in that community. Because I think things often just get gross in some way. I am curious if, um, and you don't have to share any work in progress or anything, but have you... You are now, the book has been out now. Uh, the book came out last year, in last fall, right?
1: Yes. Uh, last spring. I've lost track of time. <laughs> April. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
0: you've now done a series of interviews. You're headed off for uh, the True Crime Awards, CrimeCon, is that correct?
1: Yes, in London.
0: And so you've been through a year of this book being out in the public. How do you feel about it now? How, is, how has your relationship to this work changed? Because Obviously beforehand, it was just this deeply personal thing, but now so many people have read your book and you've talked to so many people about it. You know, how how have things changed over time for you?
1: You know, I don't think that much has changed in light of like how I look at the book or how I want it to touch people and to touch hearts and touch readers and make you maybe feel a little uncomfortable um, and, you know, throw you into some thoughts you're maybe not used to having. I mean, that was the point of me writing this book. And I feel hmm. like there are times when I struggle with this industry as a whole with publishing and um, you know, I writers are kind of taken advantage of in this industry as I mean, we're seeing that we're seeing the strikes now and it's was like a bit of some disillusion there, I suppose, with the industry. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: I think it's so important when I'm having those moments to just remind myself of the why in this book and why I wrote this book. And it really was to, you know, to touch the hearts and minds of of people to try to understand what creates a killer, what makes them different from us, what does it look like, what does it feel like to live next to a domestic terrorist, a serial killer, and just infuse the human element of understanding the story And when I'm able to do that and remind myself of my purpose and my why, I am like, I'm so grateful and so um, appreciative of all that have been involved with it and everyone who helps me like spread the word about this book because I did go with a small press and so, all in all, it's been really incredible. and i I love book clubs. I love talking to my readers, like truly people who like hang out and yeah. and read books and talk about books together. And I bring a photo album when we geek out on FBI <laughs> evidence. And um that has been incredible. And it's been, I think, very healing for me as well to to write this story that has always kind of been inside of me. So those are all wonderful parts, and then um, you know, again, I think with any writer, we just have to remember the why of why of why we do this.
0: Sure, and that makes total sense. You now you've now done a ton of interviews and press and all of that type of stuff. I am just curious. I I, I said this would be an optional question, so do you have any questions for me as a reader of your book? Because you I'm you've been asked hundreds of questions about writing this book about the receptions of this book all of that but do you have any questions for me as a reader?
1: Yes, I do. Um so to completely put you on the spot, I sure. I would love to know while you're reading it, were there any other books that you were reminded of or like any anything that you've read in the past that you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is so much like this book." or not?
0: Yeah, I think there is absolutely the um there's the draw, I think, in kind of just like base genre with "Stranger Beside Me" by Anne Rule. Is that the right? That's the right title, right? And that is her her life, uh, kind of living as a friend to Ted Bundy, which is a book that I read, like you know, as a disenchanted like sixteen year old, as happens. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a really fascinating like kind of callback to a book that I I loved from like an early age. But I also I think it's um, I think maybe it's because of just like the settings of the story and the rural nature of the writing and stuff. There was a lot of parts in it where I had a lot of, um, I don't know, like emotional confliction that I did while reading uh, Educated by Tara Westover, oh my where gosh. it's it's kind of this historical look back at family. But obviously your family in this broad sense also includes Ted. And that's where like the conflict comes in of growing up in this local place that was hiding. And I don't mean that in like a, a active sense, but in in the passive sense of just like the very nature itself being the cover for that type of a thing. I think you have, like we talked about earlier, the Western United States is this very odd figure in a lot of these stories and Tara Westover's book kind of does the same way with like the, uh, relationship to extremism, but also the relationship to rural means like being kind of, um, departed from culture in some sense. And I grew up in like rural Midwest, which is a very, I think also unique thing. And I was on a walk with my partner yesterday and we were just talking about like growing up in like the two thousands. And I was like, yeah, but for us growing up in the two thousands meant like you know, I'm a 92 baby. It meant that I was in the nineties until I was like 14 or 15, you know, even though that's not true, but it's just because we're culturally behind, you know, just by the nature of being in a small town in the Midwest. And I think there's, there's elements of that in your story too, which I find a really fascinating thing. As just, a as someone really in love with the idea of, uh, these hinterlands of these just places where there's these really unique and interesting stories happening. But, um, not much else outside of those stories, you know what I mean? So yeah, I think that was I think that was probably the two books that most made me think of it, uh, which is I think high praise because those two books, uh, those have been standout books for me over the years. Those are really phenomenal reads, and I, I really enjoyed this. True crime, I gotta be honest. I might not have been the perfect interviewer or the perfect person to reach out for to an interview because True crime is typically not a genre that I step into often, um, but I really enjoyed your story. The family element is just what kept me absolutely obsessed with it this morning and something that I'll be thinking a long time about. So thank you so much for uh, getting in touch with me because um, <laughs> I I I might not have ever seen your book. And I think that's one of the cool things that the internet or like what book Talk and Bookstagram has done is given people access to reviewers. And I know um, you kind of found me on there. And I'm really thankful that you did, because I I really thoroughly enjoyed your story. Oh, as, my gosh. As, as difficult as it was.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, did you see the jazz hands when you said educated? I couldn't help myself. It's one of my all-time favorite books. Um, Stranger Beside Me was one of the books that I read while I was writing this and doing my proposal. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, if I can at least like pull off a percentage of what Rule yeah. has done here in telling the story. So the fact that you just said both of those books, I mean, I, could, I literally physically couldn't contain myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think I think like the 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 genre that you're going for fits in really well with those two. It'd be a great uh, like three part book series. I've always I always love doing those. I kind of keep it secret, but I really need to post about it more. When I tend to r- read a book, I often pair it with other things that are like not directly related, but kind of related in in some broad sense. And if anyone's looking to kind of uh, mimic what I what I do sometimes, I would definitely check out <laughs> Madman in the Woods, Stranger Beside Me and Educated as like a three part series because you'll get a lot of the West, you'll get a lot of uh, really interesting looks at family and relationships. And I think it would be just a, a really good trinity or, <laughs> or, or trilogy of, of reads for people. So Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, where can people find you online?
1: I think I'm most active on Instagram at Author. You can also subscribe to my website at jamiegearing.com where I very occasionally send you a newsletter. Um, I should actually be better about it, but I'm really trying not to spam people about, <laughs> you know, like different awards that the book is up for or just exciting things that have to do with um, this book being out in the world.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. This podcast is edited by Tone Support. For podcasting needs, check out tone.support. This podcast is sponsored by Patreon. Special thanks to my patrons, Aaliyah, Marilyn, and Emily. If you would like to join the Discord or help support the show and unlock bonus episodes, please do so at patreon.com slash I really appreciate any rate reviews and please subscribe to this show. Come back next week and I'll be talking to author Rachel Rucker of East Winds. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone.